Chapter 15 of Murder at Bridge. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Katie Gibbony. Murder at Bridge by Anne Austin. Chapter 15. Bonnie Dundee's first thought upon awakening that Sunday morning was that it might prove to be rather a pity that his new bachelor apartment, as he loved to call his three rooms at the top of a lodging-house, which had once been a fashionable private home, faced south and west, rather than east. At the Rhodes house, whose boarding-house clamour and lack of privacy he had abandoned, upon taking the flattering job and decent salary of special investigator attached to the district attorney's office, he had grown accustomed to using the hot morning sun upon his reluctant eyelids as an alarm clock. But, he continued the train of thought, after discovering by his watch that it was not late, only eight-forty, it was pretty darn nice having diggings like these, quiet and private, for he was the only tenant now on the top floor. His pleased, lazy eyes roved over the plain severity but solid comfort of his bedroom, and on past the open door to take in appreciatively the equally comfortable and masculine living-room. Pretty nice. That leather upholstered couch and armchair had been a real bargain, and he liked them all the better for being rather scuffed and shabby. Then his eyes halted upon a covered cage, swung from a pedestal. Poor old Cap'n! Must be wondering when the devil I'm going to get up. And he swung out of bed, lounged sleepily into the small living-room, and whisked the square of black silk from the cage. The parrot, formerly the property of murdered old Mrs. Hogarth of the Rhodes House, but for the past year the young detective's official, Watson, ruffled his feathers, poked his green and yellow head between the bars of his cage, and croaked hoarsely, "'Hello! Hello!' "'Hello yourself, my dear Watson,' Dundee retorted. "'Your vacation is over, old top.' It's back on the job for you and me both, which reminds me that I ought to be taking a squint at the Sunday papers to see how much Captain Strawn thought fit to tell the press. He found the Hamilton Morning News in the hall just outside his living-room door. Listen, Captain. Nita Selim murdered at Bridge. Probably the snappiest streamer headline the news has had for many a day. Now let's see. He was silent for two minutes while his eyes leaped down the lesser headlines and the column one, page one, story of the murder. Then, Good old Strawn, not a word, my dear Watson, about your absurd master's absurd performance in having the death hand at bridge, replayed. Not a word about Ralph Hammond, the missing guest. Not a word about Mrs. Tracy Miles being hidden away in the clothes closet while her hostess was being murdered. In fact, my dear Watson, not a word about anything except Strawn's own theory that a hired gunman from New York or Chicago, preferably Nita's hometown, New York, of course, sneaked up, crouched in her window, and bumped her off. And life-size photographs of the big footprints under the window to prove his theory. By golly, Cap'n! I clean forgot to tell my former chief that I'd found Nita's will and note to Lydia. He'll think I deliberately held out on him. Well, I can't sit here all day gossiping with you, my dear Watson. Work, much work to be done. Then, Sunday dinner with poor little Penny. Four hours later, a tired and dispirited young detective was climbing the stairs of an ugly five-story walk-up apartment house in which Penny Crane and her mother had been living since the financial failure and flight of the husband and father, Roger Crane. 
Hello there! It was Penny's friendly voice hailing him from the topmost landing of the steep stairs. All winded, poor thing! His tired, unhappy eyes drank her in, the freshness and sweetness of a domestic penny, so different from the thorny little office penny who prided herself on her efficiency as secretary to the district attorney. Penny in flowered wall, with a saucy ruffled white apron, and there were purplish shadows under her brown eyes, and her gaiety lasted only until he had reached her side. Shh! Have they found Ralph? she whispered anxiously. He could only answer, No and he almost choked on the word. "'Mother's all of a twitter at my having a detective to dinner,' she whispered, trying to be gay again. "'She fancies you'll be wearing size eleven shoes and a six-shooter at your belt.' "'Yes, mother, it's Mr. Dundee.' She did not look all of a twitter, this pretty but rather faded middle-aged little mother of Penny's. A gentle dignity and patient sadness, which Dundee was sure were habitual to her, lay in the faded blue eyes and upon the soft, sweet mouth. But Mrs. Crane was ushering him into the living-room, and its charm made him forget for the moment that the Cranes were to be pitied because of their come-down in life, for every piece of furniture seemed to be authentic early American, and the hooked rugs and fine brocaded damasks allied themselves with the fine old furniture to defeat the ugliness with which the Maple Court Apartments architect had been fiercely determined to punish its tenants. "'Excuse me, got a dish up!' Penny flung over her shoulder as she ran away and left him alone with her mother. Dundee liked Mrs. Crane for making no excuses about a maid they could not afford, liked the way she settled into a lovely, ancient rocking-chair, and set herself to entertain him while her daughter made ready the dinner. Not a word was said about the horrible tragedy which had occurred the day before in the house which had once been her home. They talked of Penny's work, and the little gentlewoman listened eagerly, with only the faintest of sighs, as Dundee humorously described Penny's fierce efficiency and District Attorney Sanderson's keen delight in her work. "'Bill Sanderson is a nice boy, the woman of perhaps forty-eight, said of Hamilton's, thirty-five-year-old District Attorney. "'It is nice for Penny to work with an old friend of the family.' or was, until, and that was the nearest she came to mentioning the murder before Penny summoned them to the little dining-room. Because Penny was watching him, and was obviously proud of her skill as a cook, skill recently acquired, he was sure, Dundee ate as heartily as his carefully concealed depression would permit. There was a beautifully browned two-rib roast of beef, pan-browned potatoes, new peas, scalloped tomatoes, and, for dessert, a gelatin pudding which Penny proudly announced was Spanish cream, the secret of which she had mastered only that morning. I was up almost at dawn to make it, so that it would be set in time, she told him, and by the quiver of her lip Dundee knew that it was not Spanish cream which had got her up. I'm going to help wash dishes, he announced firmly, and Penny, with a quick intake of breath, agreed. Hadn't you better take a nap, mother? she added a minute later, as Mrs. Crane, with a slight flush on her faded cheeks, began to stack the dessert dishes. "'You mustn't lay a hand on these dishes, or Bonnie and I will have our dishwashing picnic spoiled. Run along now. You need sleep, dear.' "'Not any more than you do, poor baby,' Mrs. Crane quavered, and then hurried out of the room, since gentlewomen do not weep before strangers. "'I called you Bonnie,' "'so Mother would know we are really friends,' Penny explained, her cheeks red, as she preceded him through the swinging door into the miniature kitchen. "'You'll stick to that. Being friends, I mean, no matter what happens, won't you, Penny? 
Dundee said in a low voice, setting the fragile crystal dishes he carried upon the porcelain drainboard of the sink. I knew you had something bad to tell me. It's about Ralph, I suppose. Her husky voice was scarcely audible above the rush of hot water into the dishpan. You'd better tell me straight off, Bonnie. I'm not a very patient person. Are they going to arrest Ralph when they find him? There wasn't a word in the paper about him this morning. I'm afraid they are, Penny, Dundee told her miserably. Captain Strawn has a warrant ready, but of course— Oh, you don't have to tell me you hope Ralph isn't guilty, she cut in with sudden passionate vehemence. Don't I know he couldn't have done it? They always arrest the wrong person first, the blundering idiots. It was the thorny Penny again, the Penny with glittering eyes which matched her nickname. But Dundee felt better able to cope with this Penny. I'm afraid I'm the chief idiot, but you must believe that I'm sorry it should be a friend of yours, he told her, and reached for the plate she had rinsed of its suds under the hot water tap. "'Shoot the works,' she commanded with hard flippancy. "'Of course I might have known that Captain Strawn's theory about a gunman was just dust in our eyes, and that only a miracle could keep you from fastening on poor Ralph, since he and the gun are both missing. Naturally it wouldn't occur to you that it might be an outsider, someone who had followed Nita and her lover, Sprague, from New York, to kill her for having left him for Sprague. Oh, no, certainly not,' she jibed, to keep from bursting into tears.' "'An outsider would hardly have had access to Judge Marshall's pistol and Maxim silencer,' he reminded her, "'and Captain Strawn received a wire from a ballistics expert in Chicago this morning, "'confirming our conviction that the same gun which fired the bullets against Judge Marshall's target "'fired the bullet which killed Nita Selim. "'You've washed that plate long enough. Let me dry it now. "'And there are other things, Penny. "'Such as,' she challenged in her angry, husky contralto, Sprague admitted to me this morning, after I had confronted him with proofs, that he sometimes slept in the upstairs bedroom. I told you they were lovers, Penny interrupted, and that he slept there Friday night, after he and Nita had quarreled. He still contends that the row was over that movie of Hamilton business, Dundee went on, as if she had not spoken. He admitted also that Nita had told him to take his things away when he left Saturday morning, but he says it was only because she didn't want Ralph Hammond to find a man's belongings there if he had occasion to go into the upstairs rooms in making his estimates for the finishing up of the other side. But he contends, and Lydia Carr, whom I also saw again this morning, supports him in it, that he stayed in the house occasionally when Nita was particularly nervous about being alone, and that they were not lovers. Pooh! Don't wipe the flowers off that plate. Here's another. I'm inclined to say, Pooh, too, Penny, Dundee assured her, but Tracy Miles told me last night when he came to get Lydia that Nita really seemed to be in love with Ralph, part of the time at least. Nita thought enough of Dexter Sprague to send him to come down here and to root her head off for him to get the job of making the movie, Penny reminded him fiercely, making a great splashing in the dishpan. Then you don't think she was in love with Ralph? Dundee asked. Oh, I don't know, the girl cried. I thought so sometimes, had the grace to hope so anyway, since Ralph was so crazy about her. That's the point, Penny, Dundee told her gently. Everyone I've talked to this morning, including Sprague, seems sure that Ralph Hammond was mad about Nita Selim. So of course he would kill her? Penny scoffed bitterly. Yes, Penny. When he discovered Sprague's easily recognized cravats draped over the mirror frame in a bedroom in Nita's house, for they were there to be seen when Ralph went into that bedroom yesterday morning. How do you know he saw them? 
because he left this behind him, Dundee admitted reluctantly, and wiped his hands before drawing an initialed silver pencil from his breast pocket. I found it under the edge of the bed. The initials are R.H. Yes, I recognize it, Penny admitted, turning sharply away. I gave it to him myself, for a Christmas present. I thought I could afford to give silver pencils away then. Dad hadn't bolted yet. She crooked an elbow and leaned her face against it for a moment. Then she flung up her brown bobbed head defiantly. Well? Ralph must have been, well, in a pretty bad way, since he loved Nita and wanted to marry her, Dundee persisted painfully. Remember that Polly Beale found him still there when she stopped to offer Nita a lift to break away in. It is not hard to imagine what took place. We know that Polly curtly cancelled her luncheon engagement with Nita and the rest of you, and went into town with Ralph after making sure that Clive would join them. I saw young Hammond myself for an instant, without knowing who he was, and I remember now thinking that he looked far too ill to eat. I was lunching at the steward house myself when they came into the dining room, you know. Plenty to hang him on, I see, Penny cried furiously. There's a little more, Penny, Dundee went on. Polly Beale and Clive Hammond were mortally afraid that Ralph would come to the cocktail party. I'm sure Clive made Ralph promise to stay away, and that both Clive and Polly did not trust him to keep his promise. That is why, I am sure, Clive beckoned Polly to join him in the solarium, without entering the living room to speak to Nita. You remember they said they stayed there all during the playing of, If you call it the death hand again, I'll scream. All right. They stayed there until Karen discovered the murder. I am sure they chose that place because of its many windows. They could watch for Ralph's car, dash out, and head him off, take him away by force if necessary, to keep him from making a scene. I believe they knew he had murder in his heart, and that he would find a way to get a gun. Have you also found out that he stole Hugo's gun yesterday? I have found that it was possible for him to do so, Dundee said slowly. The butler was off for the afternoon until six o'clock. There was no one in the house but the nursemaid and the three-month-old baby. Well, and I suppose you think Clive and Polly didn't have a chance to head Ralph off, as you say, but that they did see him running away after he killed her? Her voice was still brittle with anger, but there were indecision and fear in it, too. No, Dundee replied. I don't think they saw him. I feel pretty sure he came into the house by the back way, and through the back hall, into Nita's room. He must have known Clive and Polly would be on the lookout for him. At any rate, I have proof that whoever shot Nita from in front of that window, near the porch door, fled toward the back hall. And he told her of the big bronze lamp whose bulb had been broken, reminding her of its place at the head of the chaise lounge, which was set between the two west windows. That was the bang or bump Flora Miles heard while she was hiding in the closet, he explained. I suppose Flora had told all of you about it. I thought so. Muffled as she was in the closet, it is unlikely that she could have heard Nita's frantic whisperings to Ralph. I doubt if he spoke at all. Nita must have been sure he was about to leave by the porch door. Dimly there came the ring of the telephone. With a curt word, Penny excused herself to answer it. Dundee went on polishing glasses with a fresh towel. Bonnie! Penny was coming back, walking like a somnambulist, her brown eyes wide and fixed. That was Ralph, and he doesn't even know Nita is dead. End of chapter 15